Matthew 26, verse 36, and we're going to be going through verse 46. Then Jesus came with them. The, the, the last supper is over now, and they are now heading out. They're, they're going to be leaving Jerusalem, and they're going to be heading down. Um, they're going to be crossing the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and into Gethsemane. It says, so then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Lord Jesus, Lord, we are in awe of you. Lord, this reckless love that you have shown. Lord, the torment that you were so willing to accept to love us, to save us, to redeem us. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would take these words, Lord, that you would just meet with us in a very personal way this morning. That you would help each one of us to cross the millennia and enter into the garden with you. And to even just get a a little glimpse of your heart and your struggle and your passion. We love you with all of our hearts, Lord, and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he goes to Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, I don't know if you guys know it, but we have, our church is completely backwards. Did you know that? Completely backwards. Do you see that there's chairs out here for sitting? They're fairly comfortable chairs, aren't they? They're more comfortable than the folding ones we had originally. And do you see me standing here? This is backwards. See, in the church originally, in Jesus' day, the people would stand. Now, they would be separated. The women would be on one side, the men would be on, and there would be a rope down the middle, so you couldn't cross, right? You never sat with your wife. That would be ridiculous, right? You, you couldn't, no, no. So, right, but, but all of you would be standing, and I would come and I would sit, okay? A mason, a, 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 a carpenter, all of them, when they worked, they would sit, right? Sitting was a position for working, very few, it's only like the, 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 the laborers, the, 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 the guys who would go winnowing in the fields. Yes, they stood, but that was considered like day labor and like that kind of stuff. But most people would actually consider sitting to be a, a position of working, right? When the Jews would come and when they would eat, they wouldn't just sit, they would recline. And that was a very different thing, right? They, they would lean back. But see, the, this, um, this sitting in uh, this 
um, time and in this culture was an attitude generally assumed in Palestine by those who were engaged in any kind of work. See, the, the disciples were commissioned to labor in prayer. He said, sit here and pray. Notice he didn't say recline. He didn't say go to sleep. He said, sit here and pray. Okay, they, they had been given a duty to perform, right? And they were to labor in this. This was their work, okay? And then he says, while I go over there and pray, and, and then he says, and then it, it, he takes with him, he says he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And I, I find it interesting that he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. So first he has the, the, the whole group of 12, and whoever else was there is probably some of the ladies and all that. But, but he's, he sits them down. He says, I want you to sit there. And he says, we're going to go over here and pray. And then he takes Peter, James, and John. And they come with him now. And then they come apart. And I find it interesting. Like, why did he take them? Like, really, I mean, think about it. How many times did Jesus go off alone to pray? Right? How many times would he send his disciples on ahead of him? And they would go off and he would find some secluded place and be alone just with him and the father. Right? How many times did that happen? How many times did he have just that sweet fellowship with his father? And he always wanted to be alone to do it. But not this night. This night, he asked Peter, James, and John to go with him. And that's very unusual. Like we, we don't typically see that. Remember, the disciples even said, you know, typically Jesus' prayer was alone. How do we know that? Because his disciples even asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. We see you praying all the time, Lord. Like you always go off someplace in, in seclusion to pray. And, and, and yet they had to ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. So it was Jesus' habit to be alone in his prayer closet, not drawing attention to himself, but to have fellowship with God the Father. And yet this night, this night of all nights, he says, I want my friends with me. Interesting. Now, does it surprise you that God can be comforted by you? Now, we often think, you know, the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, right? He is the comforter. We think of him in that way all the time. He comforts us. And in my absolute darkest hour, God was there. And he was a comfort to me. But does it surprise you that you can comfort God? Does it surprise you that you actually have a ministry to comfort God? Some of you are like, really? Yes. We're going to see it here. Now, how do you comfort God? Do you quote scripture at him? Oh Lord, I'm so sorry you're having a bad day. No, that would be ridiculous. Okay. You were not there for to be a counselor to God. Okay. You're not there to quote scriptures to him. It's your presence. It's your presence. Think about Job and his friends. What was, they were his friends. I think they started off as his friends and they turned out to be his enemies and then he reconciled with them and they were friends again at the end. But in the end, what was their ministry to Job? Sit there with your mouth shut. Don't say a word. It was when they opened their mouth that everything got ruined. Right, but for the seven days that they sat there quietly, guess what? They were the best friends Job could have. They were the absolute best friends he could have. Did you know that our God... Your Lord longs to spend time with you. He just wants to be with you. He just wants to spend time in your presence. He just wants you to understand his presence around you. Did you know that? And in doing that, we minister to him. Especially in this generation. Think about it. How many multiplied billions of people hate God this morning? Think about it. 
These are people whom Christ died for. These are people whom God knit in, his, in their mother's wombs. Right? These are people that God ha- has a good plan and purpose for each one of them, knowing that as he's knitting them together, that they're going to blaspheme his name, curse him, and reject him. Think about it. Do you think God's heart can break? Absolutely. We, we oftentimes think of God as like, God! And he's above feeling. He's above, you know, anything, any touch of humanity like that. But he's not. Remember when it said Jesus wept? Right? When Lazarus was in the tomb? Now, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He wasn't crying for Lazarus. If anything, he was crying for poor Lazarus has to die again. Bummer. Right? But in the end, why was he crying? Because he saw the sadness of the people whom he loved around him. Right? And so he wept with them. God's heart can be touched and stirred. And, and think about it. Whose heart's bigger, ours or his? I believe the, the emotions that we feel are this little infinitesimal speck compared to the feeling and heart of God. And the emotions and the sadness and sorrow he feels towards people that are rejecting him and dying in their sins is so much more than we could even bear. I had one moment where I, I, I had a snapshot of, of a li- even, I, I would bet it was only the smallest little bit of that, and that was when I was ministering to that girl, Ariel. I've told you all about her before, that Jewish girl. And the Spirit came upon me that I might be a witness for him, and I was sharing the gospel, breaking down all of her walls, and she admitted that Christ was the Messiah, but she didn't want him to be, because if she did admit, because she was an Orthodox Jew, her whole family would disown her. And she was like, I know he is, but I don't want him to be, so I'm not going to. And when she hung up the phone, like the spirit was still on me. And it's like all of a sudden in that moment, I felt, I believe, at least in a very small degree, how God feels. Only multiplied billions of times over again. As this person whom he loved and was drawing to himself rejected him knowingly. And I I literally fell down in the office at Worship Generation and I sobbed. And I couldn't stop sobbing. It was the convulsing sobbing over this one poor woman who knew her Messiah and rejected him. And think about it. In this generation when there are so many people who are rejecting Christ, rejecting his love, using his name as a cuss word, and that is it. Do you think that breaks God's heart? Absolutely. When Trinity was dying was there anything you guys could say to me? Was there a scripture you could quote? Was there anything like that? What, what was your ministry? And do you guys know that you minister to me all the time? And to Heidi too? What was the ministry? You'd come alongside and you'd cry with us sometimes. You'd come alongside and just hug us. You, you, you'd, you'd pulled up the slack in the ministry here at the church. You'd pray for us. You worshipped with us. That was the ministry. When our good friends, the Simonians, when their son William died, 19-month-old, threw up, convulsed, died. I was at the emergency room on the Kaiser at Lakeview before it closed, 20 minutes after his death. I walk in the the emergency room. She comes up to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, why did this happen? Do you know that there's no answer to that? And I said, I don't know. And I sat there for the next several hours sobbing with them watching them hold William and trying to remember his weight, touching his skin, touching his hair, smelling him. There's no ministry except for just being there. There's no ministry except for being in the presence. And guys, we have a ministry to our God. 
Right When we look upon this generation, this wicked and adulterous generation that rejects Him and hates Him and blasphemes Him, we can cry with Him. We could be ashamed and sorrowful. Do you know Daniel spoke that way? Remember when he prayed in, 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 in his letter? Right? And, he, and he prayed and he was confessing the sins of his people as though they were his sins. And, and he was just crying out to God. And he was drawing close to God as he was doing that. But when we grieve over our generation with God, when we love the things that he loves, when we hate the things that he hates, I believe it brings a closeness to us and to the heart of God that cannot otherwise be. And God wants that fellowship. He created us for that fellowship. That is what we were made for. And so here in the text, he, in, in verse 37, he took Peter and, and James and John with him into the garden, into his time of crushing, that he might have fellowship, that he might have that companionship with them. And he's having it with the Father, absolutely. But he is having it with his, his disciples as well. And then he says to them, he says in verse 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Now, I need to ask this question, and it seems like a silly question. Why is he sorrowful? Doesn't that seem like a silly question? He's about to go to the cross, Pastor Brian. Duh. Is that it? What part of the cross is he crying over? What part of the cross is he sorrowful over? Is it the part of the cross that he's going to be nailed and beaten and that whole bit? Is it the pain that he's about to suffer? In John twelve twenty seven, it says, Now uh, my soul is troubled. Talking about sorrow, this is in Gethsemane. He says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. So no, I don't believe it's the cross. I don't believe it's the pain and the physical suffering that Jesus is sorrowful for. Now, I do believe that that brought him um, a cause of distress for sure, right? Maybe even fear, right? The fear of the pain of death, absolutely. But that's not what sorrow is. Like, think about it. If you're like getting ready to like, be well i'll get there in a second why would he sorrow in that situation of the cross why would he say to his disciples my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death not fear not anxious he said sorrowful why because the ones he loves are about to murder him think about that the ones whom he loves when Judas comes to betray him, what does he call him? You viper. Is that what he says? He says, friend, do you betray me with a kiss? The ones whom he loves is about to murder him. I tried to put myself in this position and tried to understand this a little bit more. So I said, okay, let me, let me just play the scenario. Let me imagine now. Sarah, Olivia, and Chloe. All of a sudden, they hate me so much, so fiercely, that they are anticipating, planning, and about to carry out my horrible abuse and murder. Right? They don't want to just kill me. They want to make me suffer and die the most horrific death possible. I believe that their hatred would be more agonizing to me than the pain of death itself. To know that my children, whom I love with all of my heart and would do anything for, would be so willing to hate and destroy me, would break my heart, 
more than anything else. And yes, I would be afraid of dying the, you know, so if they got some mafia hitmen to come after me. Sure, I would be distressed. And Jesus actually says that he, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. That is a, an actual medical condition, if you guys don't know that. When you, if you get so anxiety-ridden, so stressed about something, the capillaries in your skin can literally dilate, and you can literally begin to sweat blood. Okay, so yes, he, he is for sure... Um, He's anxious. He's distressed over this, even potentially fearing the, the, the physicality of the cross itself. But you know what? His courage is far greater than his fear, wasn't it? Because he went anyway. That's what courage is. Jesus is saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And I believe it's because of the ones who are doing the murdering and not the murder itself. Right? He is, his heart is breaking. His heart is breaking. And so he says, stay here and watch with me. Watch with me. Uh, that word watch, it's Gregorio. Everybody heard, anybody ever heard the term like a Gregorious personality? Right? What, what is a Gregorious personality? If somebody's like, Whoa! You know, they're loud and like they big movements and they're they're just like you'd say they're a captivating kind of personality there's somebody who's charismatic right they get very gregarious when they're telling stories okay he has called his disciples to be alert to stay awake right to be here with me right don't fall asleep be awake, be alert, be gregarious. I need you to be here. And he obviously, he already told the other disciples that he's going to pray. He's telling them, I'm going to go over here and pray. What do you think they should be doing? Praying, right? To be awake, to be alert. And we're going to get to why in just a second. He's asking them to stand with him in the darkest hour of his life. And I would even say the darkest hour of eternity. This is darker than when Lucifer fell. Think about it. You know, the angels, we think of them as like ministering spirits and some of them have like four faces and lots of wings and eyeballs all over the place. And we kind of go like, okay, interesting. But do you know that angels have free will like us? They get to choose things. They think things. They're not just automatons. Right? They're people, right? When you get to heaven, oftentimes you think of like angels as either, oh, they're going to be ministering servants to us. Or, you know, wow, they're going to be great and like awesome to behold. I can't wait to hear them sing. But really, in the end, do you ever think about, like, you know, you're going to be like friends with the angels? Like, they're going to be people that you get to know? And Lucifer was the greatest of the angels. He was the anointed cherub, right? Son of the morning. And that day when Lucifer fell and became Satan, I think that was a dark day in history, in eternity. I bet it was. This is darker still. This is darker when sin entered the world and man was separated from God. This creation that God loved so much that he made in his own image, Adam and Eve, when they chose to eat of that fruit and sin and death entered the world. Think about all of the death. Think of all the molestations, all of the murders, all of the abuse in all of history came from one act of rebellion. That was a dark day. This is darker still. This is darker than the day when the floodwaters rose in the days of Noah and all of those billions of people whom God loved were drowned in his judgment. 
this is darker still. This is the hour in which the eternal, loving, merciful, perfect, holy creator God would allow himself to fall into the hands of his rebellious creation and be abused and murdered with all of the malice and hatred of hell. That is the day that Jesus is approaching now. What was his comfort? Well, he said earlier in in this gospel, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And here he is, smack dab in the middle of his father's will. And so, yes, I believe that brought great comfort to him. But what was the other comfort? His friends were by his side. He says, I am your Lord, that is true. He said, but you are my friends. He says, because a master does not tell his servants all the things that he's going to do. He says, but I have told you. You are my friends. And so this now, his disciples having ministry and he's calling them to minister to him watch with me abide with me now in my hour of darkness stand by my side that is the ministry which they have for him and then in 39 it says that he went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed saying oh my father so now here's the communion with god oh my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as i will but as you will and and this is a very important moment this is a very powerful doctrinal moment that we need to understand and grasp so he's praying to his father right he's praying to god the father and it's just him the son of god and god here together And look what he says, if it is possible. That's an important statement, isn't it? If it is possible. If it's possible for what? For this cup. Well, we need to identify the cup. What cup is he talking about? Well, you say the cross, right? Didn't he just talk about a cup? Right? Remember, he just left the Last Supper, and now he came out here, and now he's praying. What cup is he talking about? Do you remember a a certain cup that has to do with the new covenant, his blood shed for the remission of sins? This is the cup of redemption he's speaking of. See, the cup of redemption in the Passover meal is a symbolic cup that represents a spiritual reality. As we, when we do the Passover, when we celebrate the Passover, we drink the third cup, the cup of redemption, Baruch Ata Adonai, right? We, We go through the whole blessing. But see, that cup has a spiritual reality associated with it. And Jesus is now lifting that cup, the true cup of redemption, and saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If there is any other way that men and women may be redeemed to us, If there's any other way, if by religion, if by good works, if by a clean conscience, if there's any other way, He says, do not let me go to the cross, but let's do the other plan. Let's do plan B. Did Jesus go to the cross? Do you think a loving father would send his son to the cross if there was another way? If you think so, then you have a very strange idea of what a father should be. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then look at this. This is a moment. Do you know this is a moment that has never happened in eternity God learned something. Is that possible? Can God learn something? Yeah, it actually says it in Hebrews. That in this moment, Jesus learned obedience. Because how can God be obedient to anybody? He can't. Because he is the final authority on everything. 
But in this moment, Jesus had to set aside his humanity, his, his will for the Father's will. And so in this moment, Jesus learned obedience. He says, not as I will, but as you will. And should that not be our prayers, guys? If the Son of God was obedient to his Father, even unto the pouring out of his own blood for the sake of another, shouldn't we be obedient to the command of Jesus to love? What a glorious... Jesus was commanded to die. We were commanded to love. Wow. That's not so grievous, is it? Yeah, how often do we fail in it? Too often. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter... Now, I can't help but to say, you know, Peter, remember in verse 31? Just back up a, like just a little bit. And, Jesus, and Peter said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. That great declaration of Peter. Oh, Peter... Oh, Peter, here he is asleep. And notice who he addresses, Peter. Peter, what? Could you not watch, stay awake, stand by my side with me for one hour? And then he reinstitutes the, the command again, watch and pray. Lest now, here's the thing, here's the other aspect of us needing to stand with Jesus, lest you enter into temptation. Why? Because your spirit is indeed willing. I know that you have a heart for me, Peter. He says, but your flesh is weak. So you need to be standing with me in prayer, gaining the spirit, gaining the perspective of God in this situation that you will not be made to stumble because he's about to stumble, isn't he? And then again, a second time, it says, he went away and he prayed saying, oh, my father. Now notice this, the prayer changes. If this cup cannot pass away from me. So do you think Jesus already got the answer? I think God already answered it, didn't he? Jesus already knew the answer. This is his, his humanity crying out. If there's any other way, but in his spirit, he already knew. How many times, guys, do we ask for things that we already know in our spirit? I already know the answer, but I'm asking it because my flesh wants it. Because my humanity is crying out for it. Jesus was fully man. He's fully God and fully man. But he noticed what he says. He says, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. This is Christ submitting himself to God, the father. And he came and found them asleep again. Now, because their eyes were heavy. Now, I, I want you to notice something. This is now twice. Now, he's spent whole nights in the presence of God, the father praying, right? We've seen it in the gospels. He's up there from like as the sun is setting all the way until the fourth watch of the night. That means just before sunset our sunrise, right? We've seen him that time and time again. This guy, is, he is a mad prayer warrior because he loves spending time with his father. So this is now the second time he has left off his prayers with the father to come and, and talk with the disciples. What's going on there? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have, I've never really pondered this all that often. I've never really thought about it. I just kind of read past it. And I've always had this like really surface level idea that's like, well, obviously he's coming to kind of like rebuke him for like sleeping, Right? He, he's kind of bothered by them, the fact that they're sleeping, so he's checking in on them. They're sleeping again. I knew it. Right? I've always kind of thought that. But now, here's the thing. As I started really just like pouring into this and pouring over this text, is he really assuming that they're sleeping and he's coming to correct them? It, do you really think that that's what's going on? I mean, I mean, we think this often, but you know, really in the end, I think that's the wrong motivation to assign to Jesus. Now, just put ourselves into his position again. If you were about to die at the hands of your children, the ones whom you love, why would you go and seek your friends? 
Think about it for a second. Your children are about to murder you. Why would you go seek out your friends? Your friends. Would it be to go shame them and say, shame on you for not standing with me? Is that why you're going to go to see them? I don't think so. There is a comfort that can only come from your friends. He's seeking to be comforted by his friends. Stand, watch with me. And he's walking over there. And, and now, the reality is that he and we can lay our hearts before God in a way that no man or woman can comprehend, right? I, I hope you've had those moments of worship in your life. If you haven't, you're missing something. You need to push in and, and, and spend time with God more often. But there is also something special about knowing that your friends are there for you and that they are feeling and identifying with what you are going through. Why would he leave God the Father to come over here? To rebuke them? This is his last moment on earth. He's been sharing his love with them again and again and again. I, I really, I really, it's a conjecture, mind you, and you can disagree with me, but I really believe that he was coming to his friends to be comforted by them. Why did he bring Peter, James, and John? Come with me. Minister to me. But their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went again the third time. And, and he, he prayed, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? And you know, really, in the end, I believe this is a loving disappointment. So often, the ones that we love don't meet our expectations, and they do let us down, don't they? But if we are walking in the Spirit of Christ, then we will love them still. Right. I, I believe he came and he sees them. And Jared actually made a really great point. He said, yeah, when you read the other gospel accounts of it, that, um, that the angels came and ministered to him. And he said, do you think that could be because his disciples failed at the job? His disciples were supposed to be there standing with him. And so it's like they weren't. And so God sent the angels to come and be there. I mean, think about it. He's about to go to the cross. He's sweating blood. He's really you know, anxious. He, he's going through a lot right now. And his disciples are asleep, and so God sends him an angel or two, or however many they were. And the minister was like, you know what? That's an interesting conjecture. It's worthy of mentioning here. He says, behold, the hour is at hand. Right? There will come great trials and testings in our lives also. And we will know not when they come. And only as we sit and watch with Jesus will we gain his heart and be readied for that time. Right, the hour is at hand, and here's the thing about that hour. He, you know, here it is. He says, "The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners." He says, "Rise, let us be going. See, our betrayer is at hand." Do they have any more time to pray? Do they have any more time other than the popcorn prayer? Help! Right, that's there. But do they have any more time to steady their souls, to ready their hearts for what they're about to face? Do they have any more time to minister to Jesus other than trying to take a hack at the high priest's servant? Nope. That time is over. Right? You don't know when the hour is going to come, but there will come an hour, and it'll be too late. When the hour comes, it's too late to prepare. We must be ready in advance. We were made to bring pleasure to our God, and it is his pleasure to dispense his rich love on us and to have us sit with him and reciprocate that love back to him. That's our ministry. That's our ministry with God. And we, I believe that we see it here so poignantly that Jesus wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you. How are your devotions? How are your devotions? Is it dry? Just reading pages from like morning and evening with Spurgeon? 
just reading through the Bible and nothing's really happening. Is that really spending time with Jesus? Is that really coming and experiencing His presence and grieving for the things that He grieves over? Have you, do, do you spend time thinking about our lost world and all those whom Christ died for who hate Him? Do you come and, and praise Him and give glory to Him and, and thank Him for the things that He has already done? Do you minister to Him with your own heart and your own loving affection towards Him? How many of you who are married right here, how many of you love it when your spouse pours out affection on you? If you're not raising your hand, there's something wrong with you. Okay? It's beautiful. And it's a moment of just like, wow. And you know what? There's not much that we can offer God. Does He want our money? No. Does He want our cars? Does He want activity? Does He want, what does He want? In the end, what do we have to offer? Only our hearts. Only our devotion, our fidelity, our love. And I think we see it here in a very beautiful picture of God reaching out to his creation, looking for that comfort, looking for that fellowship. Let's not deny him it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful picture. Lord, this beautiful picture of, of just your desire to love and to be loved. Lord, you made us for this very purpose. And so, Lord, we come here this morning, Lord, offering our hearts to you. Not because of what you might do for us, Lord, but because of who you are. And that you are worthy of all of our adoration. And you have loved us so purely, Lord. How can we do anything but love you back? So Lord, we just give you all the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.